Hello and welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 17. We're here to talk about Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood for the PC Engine CD. It also saw some ports to the Super Nintendo Super Famicom, but we're not going to really talk about those. I'm Kevin Larby, and along with me is first off, special guest of the show from Hardcore Gaming 101.net and HG underscore 101 on Twitter, Kurt Pilata. Kurt, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Doing very good. I'm, I'm super pumped to have you on the show because, you know, one, for, for people that listen to this podcast, HardcoreGaming101.net, if you haven't been there before, it is right up your alley. It is a great database of just awesome, you know, retro history and, and retro game content. So uh, make sure if you're listening in the car, you know, pause for a second, jump on your fo- pull over, jump on the phone and then go to the <laughs> website and, and, you know, bookmark it or give yourself a note to check it out because it is really a heaven for, for people that are into this stuff. So, uh, you know, again, like I said, Kurt, it's just a, a real pleasure to be able to talk to you because it, this is a game that is also uh, pretty near and dear to you. So it'll be great to, uh, you know, have a discussion about it. Oh yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love the hell out of Dracula. So any opportunity to just ramble on about it, I'll take in. Perfect. And uh, of course, uh, from the Alabama, we got Josh Hillier. Uh, Josh, how you doing? A long time ago, uh, people lived in peace and harmony. No one noticed the looming shadow among them. Their senses clouded in darkness. Evil ate away at their souls. Okay. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some Castlevania stuff this week. And I'm guessing that's where you got it from. Is that the English translation to the intro? Yes. Okay. Because... Uh, I did not understand any of the Japanese. So we're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to come back like last week. We're going to do lots of breaks to fit in as much music as we possibly can. And uh, we're going to be talking about the history of Castlevania Dracula X Rondo of Blood. Stick around. about the history of the game just running down the list uh it is uh, or was released in japan on october 29th 1993 like i said on the pc engine cd and in terms of development one interesting thing about the game is that it featured red book audio so you got that great cd quality audio out of the game which is a really big deal at the time in 1993 you got to keep in mind you know we started seeing things like the sega cd 
But in terms of games, music, uh, CD quality audio was something that was still relatively new. Uh, and it had a really cool combination of sound effects from the PC Engine, uh, PC Engine sound hardware and the CD audio to just make a, a great uh, chocolate and peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly kind of mix that uh, just worked great, works great with the game. Uh, and due to an enhanced capabilities of the PC Engine CD with the Super System card, which greatly expanded the TurboGrafx-16 uh, or PC Engine memory, uh, anime cutscenes and voice acting were added to the game. And this... Uh, game was actually, uh, or I should say Castlevania Symphony of the Night, was a direct sequel to this game. And also, I thought it was really cool. It included a save function with the PC Engine, or at least in the uh, Duo R that I was playing it on. You could actually have a save game on the console uh, from the disc. Obviously, it's writing to the console. Uh, some key staff. And you know what? Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw this off to you because I butcher... Every Japanese name that I mentioned on the show, I don't know if you want to take a stab and see if you can do a better job at uh, talking about the the key staff that were on the uh, game. Okay. Uh, the director is uh, Toru Hagihara. Uh, I think when I have done some research for it, it's a little bit, it's been a long time since I looked at it. I think he's kind of one of the uh, the upper echelon managers of Konami now. Oh, cool. Uh, the co- composers are uh, Akira Soji, Keizo Nakamura, Tomoko Sano, and Mikio Saito. And uh, as far as the uh, the stars of the Konami team, I'm not really too familiar with most of those names. Yeah, and you were mentioning, we were talking a little bit off the air, that these development teams that kind of worked on the Castlevania series were, were really broken up, and they weren't necessarily all going from game to game to game. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, for a long time, there's sort of this this myth that, uh, you know, the, ca- the people made Castlevania, the people made Contra... Uh, for Konami, that they were the ones who went off and formed Treasure. And that's not really the case. Like, there's a staff member here or there that uh, that came up, but in reality, that wasn't really true. As far as we can sort of understand, it gets cloudy because of the, uh, especially for the first game, there's no credits. But the first three Nintendo Castlevanias were made by roughly the same people. But Super Castlevania 4 for the Super Nintendo was done about development around the same time of Castlevania 3 by somebody different. And I think all the different 16-bit Castlevanias, which are Super Castlevania 4, PC Engine Dracula X, Castlevania Bloodlines, and the uh, Super Nintendo Dracula X, I believe were different different staff. I should mention that uh, we specifically brought Kurt on the show because he is uh, you know, such a huge fan of the Castlevania series. So uh, thank you, Kurt, for helping me out with some of this stuff. Uh, oh, sure. Also, I think it's really interesting that the game saw some ports, like I mentioned earlier, on the Super Famicom in term, uh, in the uh, form of Dracula X, and that also came over to the United States, but not till September 1995, so really late in the Super Nintendo uh, life cycle in Castlevania Dracula X. Uh, while the port is similar to Rondo Blood and it uses many of the uh, latter's graphics, it featured a different art style, redesigned levels, and altered gameplay elements, such as having only two alternate levels and Maria as a non-playable character. So... Uh, this is a game that is actually relatively cheap. Uh, in Japan, you could pick up Dracula Double X for like roughly twenty five, thirty dollars. Um, but playing that game, and, and you know, luckily I had a copy to compare it with. Um, it is just, it is such an inferior game in terms of uh, you know the almost from top <laughs> to bottom everything yeah yeah and it, it's like not even just like the cd soundtrack but you gotta keep in mind like and it's kind of weird because 
it's almost like a lazy port because technically the hardware, the you know, Super Famicom should be a little bit more capable, minus the uh, sound chip not being able to put out CD quality uh, audio. Do you know? Do you have any information, Kurt, about just kind of like why that that port just wasn't good, or you know what what went on with that? Uh, I really have no idea. Um, I know at the time it was one of those big disappointments because you know back in ninety two ninety three, Dracula X was the big import that places like uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly were really crowing about because mm-hmm. it looked incredible. But Konami wasn't publishing any of their titles for the PC Engine in North America, so we knew that nobody was ever going to get it. Then they announced the Super Nintendo one. They were going to bring it out. Everybody was so excited. And then it was released, and all the magazines were like, you know, A, this isn't the same game we were promised, and B, it's kind of not very good. Mm -hmm. So as for why that happened, I mean, getting into why Dracula X is like basically one of the best 16-bit Castlevanias is partially because of the CD-ROM just has a ridiculous amount of space. Mm-hmm. Like, most CD-ROM games of the era are, like, they took the cartridge game, they may have put, a like, a rendered intro or custom cutscenes, put on CD audio, made it another level two, and they just called it a day. But Dracula X just has such an extraordinary amount of content, just especially from a graphical standpoint. Like, uh, each level, they usually have multiple paths. Mm-hmm. Each section uses completely different tiles from each other, usually. There's tons of monsters in it, and I mean, I don't know exactly how big it is without like looking at the files or anything like that. But to be able to fit all those graphics in a cartridge would be very difficult. Like you probably could with some of the compression chips that came around later. Um, but now it's it, it's not something that really took advantage of the extra CD space beyond just the excellent music. And I think when they when they had to convert it uh, to a cartridge and realized they had a lot less space. I, I'm not sure how big the the ROM size is if it's. 16 megs i don't think it was that much they just had to you know really compress all that down and you look at the game and, and you know there's no the variation of the tile sets isn't as big there aren't as many enemies you know things like that you know beyond just the lack of levels and playable characters and all sorts of things it, um it, oh go ahead sorry no i'm, I'm trying to think like Well, it's kind of weird, like, when you look at, you know, what companies were able to do in terms of, like, downporting some stuff. I I, One of my favorite games on the Super Nintendo is, just in terms of, really, it's it's oddity, is uh, Street Fighter Alpha 2, which literally has loading times. And Capcom somehow just managed to almost, they got a really good port of Street Fighter Alpha 2 on a 16-bit console when that game, you know, was coming out on the PlayStation 1 and uh, just it, it, it looked so good and it played great. And then you saw companies like Konami just really for arguably one of the greatest video games of all time uh, have such a lackluster port of this game on the Super Famicom and Super Nintendo. It's just uh, it's really disappointing. Part of it, I think, is also is that in Japan, it wasn't really meant to be a conversion. Like, it was advertised to us in America, so that's what oh, we were okay. expected. But in Japan, it's called Akumajo Jacula Double X. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, storyline-wise, it's the same sort of thing. But I think that, you know, they were meant to expect something different. You know, a different game. Maybe just, like, that was the direction the team wanted to go. And, like, like with Street Fighter Alpha 2, it's possible. Like, the reason there are loading times is because there's uh, all the graphics are heavily compressed. Mm-hmm. And it has a special chip in there to decompress it, and that's what takes so long. And uh, Konami actually used that in a game called uh, Jikyo Oshiberi Proteus. And uh, the the thing with it is that there's running co- voice commentary, mm-hmm. and voice takes up a lot of space, so it had one of those compression chips in it. I think it may have been used for visuals, too. 
I'm not really sure. So there is a technical possibility, but this is also in that was released in '95, I think. I don't remember when Jackie the X was released. So I mean, it could have just been the team was like, you have, you have no budget, you have no memory, just do what you can. I mean, things like that happen with development. So, um, Kurt, a quick question: uh, You were talking about Konami not bringing a lot of their PC Engine games over to the United States at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So was that just a sales issue to sort of like them just assuming it's not going to sell in the United States, even though this is such a nice product, like much better um, than what we would eventually put out on the Super Nintendo? I don't really know. I mean, at, at the time, there was that whole issue. Um, you know, Konami was only publishing games for the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it wasn't until 92 or 93 where Konami started making games for uh, the Genesis and you know, by by that time, you know, the Turbo Graphics was dead in America. I mean, it would have been floundering all along anyway. So they they probably just figured it wasn't worth it. Because um, there even were even with the popular um, press that it got in EGM. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it was just. <laughs> I mean, Turbo TTI may have taken over at that point because it was like a separate subsidiary that that kind of handled those things mm-hmm. uh, versus NEC. Um, I'm not completely sure of the timeline. Yeah, they took over. I know the it. duo. I know when the the PC or the Turbo Graphics duo came out. I think that was TTI that took over the mm-hmm. uh, distribution of that stuff. Yeah, and that definitely would have been afterwards. Because exactly, yeah. I mean, part of the big problem with the Turbo Graphics 16 is you you get the system, especially from a collector standpoint. You get the system as an American one. You can play the Who cards, mm-hmm. but there's only so many good Google cards. So then you get the CD-ROM attachment. Which is fine, but there's only a handful of CD-ROMs because that only lasted like two years, maybe, before they went to the Super CD-ROMs. Mm-hmm. So then you need to get the system card in order to play those. So even the people, if they had a Turbo Graphics, if they had a CD player, which was expensive, they need to pay another $70, $80 just to get the Super CD card and then play their Dracula X. So you're talking about the most hardcore of hardcore. Yeah, so yeah. there, you know, the price, the barrier of entry just to get that you know, even at the time, Turbo Duos were what three hundred dollars or so, mm-hmm. um, and it just didn't. You know, outside of you know a couple of those hardcore games, you know, they didn't have a Sonic the Hedgehog, they didn't have the library that Nintendo had. You know, it just it, it probably wasn't going to happen. There is a really great advertisement if people want to check out or a promotional video that uh, NEC or TTI did on uh, the uh, Turbo Duo uh, that brought a Turbo Duo into an arcade hooked it up to a TV with Lords of Thunder and asked kids, you know, compared to all the arcade games, you know, how does this compare? And kids were like, oh, it's better than the arcade games. I need to have this thing. And clearly they did not have need to have it enough because no one <laughs> bought it. Um, and it was it's it's interesting with this game because, like you said, people wanted this game. You know, people were talking about it in EGM and uh, we got the ports in, in about, around 1995. And then eventually... Uh, there was some talk from Konami about putting out a PSP remake. Um, so we eventually kind of got the game uh, in 2007, uh, but also the uh, Nintendo put out a port on the, or they should say they put it out on Virtual Console on March 15th, uh, 2010. So eventually people did get some ways to play it and discover this game. Uh, but it took just so long to to really get this out. What are your thoughts on the PSP port? Do you enjoy it? Uh, I actually like it quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, the the opinion toward a lot of people is really sort of mixed, and I understand why. But because like I've just been so into the PC Engine Dracula X, they actually made a lot of changes to the PSP game that I think were really good. Um, well, not so much changes as additions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, part of it is that, like, going into the, the big thing that's so special about Dracula X is how unique each and every part of the game feels. And, um, the developers of the PSP game, they took that into heart when they're developing the backgrounds. So they'll have, like, an, a room in the PC Engine Dracula X, which is just kind of, like, boring, but they actually flesh it out with, like, fully 3D rendered backgrounds and things mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, they put up a lot of effort into the design that I don't think a lot of people give it credit for. I mean, the big problem with it is it is a, a 3D game on the PSP. It, it suffers from that, uh, the heavy, heavy dithering. It doesn't, it looks like a slightly worse PS2 game. Uh, the only really big problem with it, it only runs in like 30 frames a second versus like the 60 frames that you would get on a 2D game. So it never really feels as smooth. Um, but what I really liked beyond what they fixed the, from, uh, the PC Engine version, the PC Engine version was not finished. Like there were a number of things that they just couldn't get done. And um, they went back and basically completed them for the PSP version. Huh. Very like, uh, man, you're the perfect. He, Kurt's like the yeah, most perfect guest we could ever have for this yeah. episode. Uh, okay. Any specific examples come to mind, Kurt? Okay. So you know, after the first two, for, for, for the first level, basically, you know, the the paths split up, mm-hmm. and then they reconverge around the fifth stage. Now, there are two exits to every level. And at the end of the fourth stage, there's still like a second hidden exit. But if, you know, during the course of the game, if you complete it, you still go back to the regular stage five and then you go to the course end of the game. Well, if you beat Dracula and then go back to the hidden exit in stage four, it'll open up like a secret level, which is called stage five dash. And it's, it's a level that basically wasn't completed. And, uh, it's, it's made of tiles from other levels. And, uh, yeah, and you could tell it's not done. I mean, it's just weirdly balanced and it looks lame. Um, but in the PSP version, they went out and they created a whole new level for that spot. Um, they, they turned it into kind of like a, an underground ruins cavern area. They made uh, a whole new boss for it. And as a result, it feels much more complete. Um, yeah. And that's something that, I mean, they obviously didn't have to do that. Very few people are going to even see that, you know, you have to really know the game inside it out to even know that exists. So that's pretty cool that they did that. There's a, there's a, like a weird bug and like for a long time, like I first played Dracula X like back in 1997 or eight. Cause I had, uh, I'd started a, uh, a fan web page back when I was 15 years old called the Castlevania Dungeon. And at the time, like that was when emulators were first starting to come out. And, uh, somewhere around then, uh, the developers released Magic Engine, which had support for all the CD games. And um, I had a the web designer for my site. He sent me CDR copy because this is in the day of modems before we could you know download things like that easily. And even though my computer couldn't run it without a frame skip, or you know I had to use my keyboard because I didn't have a gamepad, like I just loved the hell out of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, I I brought up. Oh yeah, yeah. The fact okay. that they went to all that work, yeah. Um, so for a long time, I had only ever played the game on the emulator. Um, and there's this weird spot, like the, 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 um, the end of stage four dash. It's, uh, there's this hallway and it's just this bright green background. And I thought it was a graphical glitch because at the time there are other glitches in the emulator. So it wasn't until years later where I finally got, you know, a real copy of the game working on a real PC engine and the graphic glitch was still there. It's just bright green. It's like they forgot to put in a background. Um, and then when in the the PSP version, they actually kind of fix that up. It's just like a green fog, but it's not so glaringly, glaringly like that. Wow. Yeah. So somebody on that development team really loves the game, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot like, of that, that was like a real um, labor of love. Yeah. Koji Garashi was uh, he's the co-director, I think, for Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
after Circle of the Moon came out, you know, Konami really wanted to push the Castlevania series. So they put this guy in charge of the producer. And, uh, you know, he just was a huge fan of the series and wanted to guide it along. And uh, he that's where, like, the Metroidvania series of games started to come off. Like, they call him Egovanias, too, because that's uh, his code name. But uh, he was the one that, you know, he really loved that game and wanted to do all this this other stuff to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other small stuff, too. Like, there's all these hidden characters you can find. Um, and they didn't really have much of an effect on the game. Like, Richter can rescue Maria, and you can play as her. Mm-hmm. And she plays totally differently. She's basically the game's uh, easy mode. But uh, you, there's also two other characters. And other than going towards, like, the level completion and getting a cutscene didn't do anything. But in uh, the PSP version, they gave you extra powers. And they were like, just in different... Uh, like red skeleton things or ice walls hidden around the levels. And if you rescued them and you got the items, when you went back, you could destroy those walls and pick up different things. And they were mostly um, just kind of like bonuses. Like uh, you would unlock things from the soundtrack and sort of customize the soundtrack to one to use. Like you could use the, uh, the, the remixes they made for the PSP version, or you could use the original PC engine music if you wanted. Mm -hmm. And it just gave a little bit of uh, extra depth to sort of go back and, and explore and replay stuff. Um, some of the other stuff they did was one of the girls is uh Richter's girlfriend, Annette. And again, when you rescued her, it didn't do anything in the PCN version originally. Um, but there was something that they did add to the Super Nintendo version of Dracula X that if you didn't rescue her, you had to fight her in like a demon form. <laughs> and uh, they put, went back and put that into the remake. So that Under was, the PSP game? Yeah, in the PSP okay, game. Wow. So you, you fought your girlfriend and she turned into like a succubus. <laughs> um, Naturally. And the last big thing that they did was Dracula X is like a really great game, but at the end, it's actually kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. Because the Dracula battle is really easy. He turns into this yeah. big monster who's also really easy to defeat. Super and slow. And then the game yeah. ends. Um, if you are able to save everything up until that point, there's another third form that is much, much, much more difficult than anything before it. So it actually feels like, you know, a real Castlevania game. Because Castlevania 1, Castlevania 3, they were also had those very difficult last boss fights. So they mm-hmm. felt like really climactic. So it sort of made the game feel a little bit more complete like that. I was, yeah. oh, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I was super happy that the boss was incredibly brutal. <laughs> yeah. You're ready to be done at that point. I, oh man, I was, I, I even live streamed it this morning. It was, uh, it was that. pretty cool. Um, and it was really great that they, they included, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night and also the, the original PC Engine game on the, uh, UMD or the PSP version, which is also like only $10 on PSN. So if you're kind of curious about this game, you can, you can grab it for relatively cheap on there, uh, for your Vita or PSP. Um, um yeah, let me jump in real quick. Kurt, is that, um, version of Symphony of Night that you unlock in, um, the PSP Dracula X? Is that, uh, the Saturn version from what I understand? Not really. Okay, um, there's something different about it though, right? Than the US release. Yeah. Um, there I were some things, a couple hole. of really minor things that were cut out of the American PlayStation version, uh-huh. uh, and those were put back in. Like, there's a fairy that you can find, and she sings the song. It's, it's really kind of minor. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maria, there, in the Saturn version, you could play as Maria, and there was an extra fight against her. And uh, you can play as her in the PS3 version, too. But she plays completely differently. Because okay. uh, in the Saturn version, like, I don't know what they were thinking when they developed her. She's just like a like a random character in the PSP version. She plays more like she does in uh, Rondo of blood. Hmm. Gotcha. Whereas she, she attacks, you know, she attacks with doves normally in this game. She attacks with owls. All of her sub weapons are like, 
you know, little cats and turtles and things like that. Man, Excellent. I want to play that. Yeah. Um, the only thing it's really missing, there were a couple of extra items that they added to the Saturn version, and there were a couple of small areas, but those areas were kind of pointless and not really well designed, so that's why they decided not to add them to the PSP version. So you're not really missing much. Okay, good. The only the only problem that the PSP versions, um, this this affects both the uh, the PC Engine and the port, mm-hmm. is that um, both those games they run in a low resolution. So yeah. when you when you run them on like a PC monitor. Um, and compare them to what you look like on a television. On a television, they, you know, everything's a little bit fatter because the TV expands it naturally. Mm-hmm. Well, for the PSP version, they uh, they decide to keep that the same TV ratio. But the only uh, way to get that is by distorting the image yep. and blurring it. So as a result, both games are really kind of blurry and nasty looking. And that really annoys me because I I prefer to have like the you know the nice bright pixels that you know they might not be in the right ratio but it looks better absolutely so it looks kind of smeary and ugly. Mm-hmm. All right, buyer beware, guys. Um, but I mean, it's it's ten bucks <laughs> for like two of the best games ever made in a remake. So exactly, yeah, yeah, and you just and it's kind of fun to find them. Oh yeah. Yeah, and if if you go to uh, GameStop right now, that's it's buy two get two on all PSP games. If you can find a copy, good luck. Uh, they're <laughs> they're clearancing all their PSP stuff. Um, all right, yeah, no, Kurt. Before we we you know take a break and and go on to our history of of the our personal history of the game, is there anything else that you think is worth uh, including with the just the history of this game and its kind of its unique story uh, in general? Oh, yeah, not too much else. Yeah. Awesome. No, this has been awesome so far. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Here's some more awesome music, and uh, stick around. We'll be right back. back we're here to talk about our personal memories our history with the game and uh, i think josh and i are going to really be on the sidelines for the most part with this and we kind of talked about it a little bit in the last segment but um you know maybe we can shape this into an interesting uh segment uh one i think it would be cool to just talk about our uh, initial introduction to whether it's like the turbo graphics or, or the pc engine um, and if we ever were able to really get our hands on one of those uh, back in the early 90s when they were still on store shelves. Um, and we could also obviously talk about the game. Uh, but Kurt, obviously, since since you're our guest, um, you talked about it a little bit in the last segment. But uh, when did you really start 
knowing that, hey, I, I really need to play this game. I get to get a hold of it as soon as possible. And, um, you know, you said that you were able to play it through emulation, but uh, when were you able to get like that real, that, you know, super expensive CD <laughs> version and uh, get to experience the, you know, the, the real, the real deal? Yeah. I have a, just a weird history with my topographic 16 in that, you know, once I graduated college and actually had a little bit of spare money, I picked one off of eBay for like 50 bucks or so. And then, um, like the, uh, called the RF jack, it fell off and I was just really annoyed by it. So I was mentioning this to one of my coworkers. I worked at a Borders bookstore and she was like, Hey, I have a topographic 16, a CD. You want it? I'm like, yes, absolutely. What? So she, like she gave it to free? me. Yeah, just for free. All of our guests always have the greatest stories about like getting free stuff just like just by happenstance. It's so great. Yeah, we must be doing something wrong the way we live, (laughs) Kevin. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, I just kind of stumbled into that. And I mean, that was amazing. I mean, the the game, like she had, um, you know, an American Tour Graphics and uh, the CD ROM and a couple of games, Mm -hmm. uh, but she only had the original card. Now, the American Super System card is very expensive to get. Um, I mean, I don't know how much it is now, but at the time it was over a hundred dollars and I I worked at a Borders bookstore making barely above minimum wage. So I didn't have that much money. Um, so it wasn't until a couple of years later where, um, I lived by the digital press store in New Jersey and, uh, I I lived like 10, 15 minutes away from, so I check it out every week. And then at some point they got a, uh, a graphic 16 modded to read Japanese who cards. And that was a boon because the Japanese, uh, Japanese system card is much, much cheaper. Like you get one again for like 10 bucks at the time. So I got that. I decided to take the plunge. There's a, um, a site called a uh, big Japanese store, Mandarake. And every once in a while they have uh, games that are really loose in stock. But since they're in Japan, you don't have to go through the markup that you would find on other sites. And I was able to get one there, which, you know, back in like 2005 was like 60, 70 bucks, which isn't a bad price. And, uh, then I was finally able to play it on a real system. I was like, yeah. So what what was that like? I mean, did did it really uh, you know make a real big difference playing it on the actual console compared to the emulator? Was it just like playing a whole new game, or did it feel really familiar? I mean, it feels really familiar. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it just has the experience of watching something. You know, again, the, uh, the 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 sprite ratio is a little bit different, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it has a scan line, so it has a slightly more authentic feel to it. Hey, uh, a control scheme, again. man! Right? Yeah. Weren't you saying that you had to use the keyboard when you were playing it um, yeah, through the emulator? Time. Yeah, and it was just oh. like I was so used to playing it with such a high frame skip, just to seeing it like so. Like I had gotten a better computer since then, mm-hmm. but um, well, then of course there are other annoyances that come with the, the Turbo Graphics because it has a uh, incredibly short cord on the controller. Yep. So even now I have to like huddle next to my TV to do it. So things like that are annoying. <laughs> there's um, a there's a a guy actually um or someone on eBay makes like six foot extension cords that seem to be doing the job so far. Um. I don't know if I mean it's worth picking up one just even if you have the multi tap and you're going to play some Bomberman it might be worth having one of those around if you guys out there want to pick up one of these. Yeah, I absolutely have to do that. I have the same problem with uh, I have a twin Famicom and just the yep. controllers are the the worst on those. <laughs> yeah, and again it's you know people have been talking about this on on other podcasts like Retronauts and stuff like it's just that thing of, you know, the Japanese household. I mean you look at Game uh Game Center CX where like the introduction they're showing the kids sitting a foot from the television screen and i guess that's just how uh people played games back in japan there were no 32 inch tvs it was just a bunch of you know 19 inch tvs but it's still uh quite an annoyance especially if you have one of those famicoms like original famicom that has the 
the actual cord is built into the system. You can't get an extension for it. Yeah, um, that's the way the Twin Famicom is. And even worse, the cords are connected on the back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Why did they do that? Makes, uh, no, makes no sense. Um, I know. At least, it, you know, it would have been great if they had one of those things like uh, for a vacuum cleaner, like you pull the cord and it kind of, uh, you know, retracts the cord and then rolls it up inside. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, anyways. You know, again, you, you brought up a great point because uh, I think when people look to, to get into this stuff now, um, it makes a ton of sense to just go the Japanese route and get the Japanese hardware because uh, the, the CD drive is region free. It's the Hue cards that you need to uh, worry about in terms of being region locked because they changed the pinouts on the on the cards themselves. So you really have to actually mod it uh, to get around that. But uh any, I don't know where I'm going with that, uh, but uh, you know, let's yeah, let's break it up, break this up a little bit. Josh, you, did you were you able to get a hold of like a Turbo Graphics, and you know, was that something that you really wanted to to you know to pick up, and you just couldn't afford it, or what? It was almost like it wasn't real, if that makes sense. It was um, just the extra system, right? That like nobody had. I just right. I never no knew anybody had else that that had one, especially growing up, because you yeah. know, like, video games for all your friends and. Right. I mean, I'd never even gotten to play it until, uh, like, Toys R Us, I think, had Air Zonk. And about that time, they yep. were, like, in a kiosk. They were clearancing them out for 50 bucks. And, I mean, honestly, at the time, I wanted to buy one. But I was, like, you know, 13 years old. And my parents were like, you have enough video games. You're not getting it. That's what happened to me. Like, I, I have a distinct memory of going to Toys R Us and trying to buy the system because it was so cheap. And they were like, oh, no, there's not a lot of games for it, you know. Just uh, save the money for something else. And they just would not let me get one. Um, so uh, yeah, it was sort of the elusive system that I only saw at Toys R Us and then wasn't able to get, um, sadly, because I love some Bomberman. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I talked about it on the show. I just rented one and got to play some blazing lasers and some, some bonk. And that's really about it. But I, I think the, the crazy thing was like, Josh, you're probably the same way discovering this stuff through, you know, sites like Kurtz and, yes. you know, really just realizing, wow, there's this whole other console with this whole other subset of games. Like, uh, you know, these past couple trips to Japan, you, you go and you look at these shelves of like Hue cards. What's a Hue card? What are these super uh -huh. CDs? What? And there's just walls of this stuff. There were so many games that came out for this, uh, this console on the PC engine in Japan that, uh, we never got. And even the stuff that we got here, like now is is really expensive. Like Airzonk is like seventy five bucks because I've been you know price you know checking all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna get into PC Engine collection, just go with the Japanese stuff. Yeah, like I mean, there's really no point to get an American system because I mean there are a couple of like English RPGs like uh, the Newtopia games, which mm -hmm. are I think probably pretty expensive now anyway. But things like that. What, what about like, Snatcher? Do you know if that ever came out in the United States or was that just a that Japanese was just for the sport? Sega CD. Well, uh, no, there was actually, uh, I'm pretty sure there's yeah, a... Yeah, there was a P, uh, Super CD version, but it, it's uh, Japanese, yeah, it's Japanese only. only. Okay. Uh, and that's that's crazy, because the, uh, the Snatcher, the Sega CD version, that was uh, specifically for the English-speaking market. And uh -huh. uh, it it came out, you know, long after the systems had died in both territories. Mm -hmm. So it, it flopped, and I think Konami was really, uh, really hurt about that. <laughs> that's such yeah, a... Oh, man, that's such a weird, weird history of a system. Um... In the other thing that it's worth mentioning, if you're going to get a TurboGrafx 16, it only has RF out, like Kurt was saying. It has an R, like for like an NES, that RF adapter. 
that you would have to screw into the coax input of a TV. So uh, be warned about that unless you have that accessory that pops into the back that allows you to have composite out and stereo output. Um, again, another weird, a weird <laughs> thing that they did on the U.S. release that you know doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, for the uh, the Turbo Graphics that had broken mine again, the digital press store they actually had had a Turbo Booster. Yeah. So I just I bought one and I just gave it to a friend of mine. Like the weak reason I had ever gotten the Turbo Graphics 16 was, uh, you know, I had a friend in college who, you know, he just spent a lot of his time with emulators and stuff like that. So he showed me, you know, uh, Superstar Soldier, mm-hmm. um, Sinistron, Bloody Wolf was a game which he absolutely loved and it's hilarious. That game's I just got that like last week. It's really good. Yeah, that game is just ridiculously it's funny. Super, it's super dumb. Yeah, and it's have it have have you beaten it yet? I I well, this is the thing. I've I've been on a spree. I bought like a a dozen Turbo Graphics games, and I've been only playing uh, Rondo Blood. So I haven't really. I just got to make sure that it worked, so I could give positive feedback on eBay. Okay, here's he has a really great great twist in it because the arcade <laughs> game was two players like a Contra, mm-hmm. but they took that out of the the Turbo Graphics version, but they still had both characters. So what it is is you play. You have to rescue the president. So you, you play <laughs> up until like the fourth level or so and you, you rescue the president. And, uh, there's like, we got the helicopter. We're going to rescue you, but there's only space for one person. So <laughs> the commando is like, you go, Mr. President. I'll stay here. So, you know, the president escapes and the first guy's kidnapped. Then the second guy goes to go and you have to rescue him. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry. I'm fighting a cold. I apologize for coughing, but. Uh, see, this is the cool thing. This is just a weird library of games. And, uh, even, I mean, it's, we'll be obviously doing more like PC Engine Turbo Graphics stuff down the road, but, uh, the interesting, you know, group of publishers, like you had Outrun that came out on this console. The Twin B games, obviously, from, uh, Konami came out. Uh, there's like just all these, all these games that I've been seeing while I was perusing eBay. I'm just like, really, really? This came out on the PC Engine? What? Sega made, Published, or I guess they—I don't know if they published the games, but they had games that came out in the PC Engine. It's just nuts. Yeah, they—they they licensed out. Like Sega was—I uh, mean, they had their own system, but they didn't really care. They would license things out. I mean, they're a Nintendo at Famicom, um, yeah, yeah, that were done by Sunsoft, NEC Avenue. They were usually the ones who um, published the uh, the Sega stuff. So you had things like Space Harrier, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually really like the uh, PC Engine port of Afterburner too. Really? Mm. Yeah, like it's. This is things that they do with the system. Like it's really, it's really smooth. First yeah. of all, for the system, and it doesn't handle the scaling completely right. And there's a lot of flicker, but it's, it's it, for a system that can't handle scaling. It just feels really good, and I really like the music arrangements they did for it too. Like it's not like arcade authentic, but it it feels better than any other 16 before it, including like the Genesis one. Yeah, I, I saw some video, and I know we're kind of off track with the the episode talking about the turbo. I mean, I think it's important to talk about the console a little bit, but. Um, yeah, even when I was looking at videos of Outrun on YouTube, like it ran super smooth. Like it, it's Outrun. Uh, you know, it has all the elements of it and the music sounds pretty good. And from someone that's owned multiple, I think four Outrun machines in my life, <laughs> it, it is pretty, uh, it is pretty close to, uh, the actual game. I'm looking forward to picking up a cheap copy and giving it a shot. Um, Let's see. I, you know, one thing that I want to talk about before moving on, uh, we've already talked, Josh and I on the show, we, we did Castlevania way back, I think on episode five, but, um, Kurt, just your, your history with the Castlevania series. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about when you, 
you know, first played a Castlevania game. And, you know, if you were hooked right away and you just kind of, obviously you've fallen in love with the series. Oh yeah. Um, I think the first one I ever played was probably Castlevania two. Cause I rented it. And I mean, any kid who played that game, I don't think made any sense of it. So I had one of those, uh, you know, those password books and Nintendo powers and things that would just like, you know, skip to the end of the game with all the, the powers and then beat the game just to see what it was. I mean, I just thought the music was amazing. Um, that was the thing I remembered most about it. And I think I had also played the first Castlevania game at like friend's house and stuff like that, but it wasn't until Castlevania three came out where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to buy this game. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh, the magazines at the time, it just really hyped it up. Like the big thing, you know, when you're a kid and you buy like three, four games a year is to have a game that was really long. And that game, it had, uh, like four different playable characters. It had all these different roots of the game. And I already knew that it was like pretty tough and it was going to be very involved. And I would just stare at the maps of Nintendo Power. I'm like, this game just looks incredible. So I bought it and it was completely incredible. I mean, it's, it, it, there, there are parts of the game that are kind of annoying with, uh, just like irritating levels and it gets really hard really early on. Um, but just for an 8 bit game that's that feature packed is, is really incredible. And, uh, the stuff that they did with the graphics was also like the animated backgrounds and mm-hmm. the waterfalls it just looks really cool. I'm going to guess that you own the Famicom version as well. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I, I mean, it um, might be worth mentioning, like, obviously, the, the music is a little bit different between the two. Yeah, it has to do with the, in, in Japan, companies could manufacture their own chips, but mm-hmm. in America, Nintendo uh, did their thing. So when games were converted uh, from to the Japanese, when they come out in America, they need to be converted to run on the American chips. And most of the time, they're able to do it without a problem. But Konami, they loved their sound hardware. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had created one of the uh, this chips. A, uh, it had extra extra sound channels with it, uh, the VRC6. And unfortunately, like they were unable to replicate any of that in Nintendo anyway because the extra sound... The American Nintendo doesn't have the ability to read external sound sources. It was something that was built into the Famicom so it could read sound channels from the Famicom disk system because it has uh, wavetable synth. Some of the music, especially Castlevania 2, sounds completely different in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another game that needs to be converted, but I think sounds better in America. But the American system didn't have that sort of hardware anyway. So they had to redo the music without those extra sound channels. And it still sounds pretty good. Uh, the American version, but the Japanese version is definitely better. Very cool. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Then we're really gonna get you know in depth on uh, Dracula X Rondo of Blood and uh, talk about our you know playthroughs and and all that stuff. So stick around. We got some more coming for you in just a minute.
Okay, we're back. And uh, again, I talked about this on the last episode. Uh, people thought I was crazy for dropping $110 on a copy of this game to play on a $300 console that I bought off eBay. Uh, but in the end, I think it was well worth it. $405 for uh, what's turned out to be uh, high up there in terms of my favorite games of all time. But uh, we're going to get in a bunch of different uh, you know, opinions of the game. Josh, I want to throw it off to you. Uh, first off, how did you play the game and uh, what were your thoughts? I think I played the game in about the strangest way that you could. Um, I didn't realize it was, it was on the Wii Virtual Console because I didn't just do a Google search. So um, I downloaded Dracula X Chronicles on PSP, the remake that we were just talking about a little while ago. And I looked up how you get the original game in there, and so I went to the trouble of finding that game and finding Symphony Symphony of the Night within the PSP remake of Dracula X. So um, how, how do you do it. it for people? Is it was it difficult? Um, it was it was not really all that difficult. No, um, okay. I'm trying to remember which which one it was. I think it's in stage four. Um, okay, so you don't have to go like all the way to the end of the game to unlock it. No, but you have to know what you're doing. You have to know exactly like which wall you can blow up in that level. Yeah, I know. It's like where I, I notice it's uh where there's kind of like uh two platforms going back and forth. One's a platform, one's like a spike. One's a spike. Exactly. Oh, okay. I didn't know that's where you unlock it. Yeah, I, I discovered that like hidden area because I by accident fell into that pit uh, while I right. missed the jump in the uh, PC Engine game. Cool. So you have to make it through that area, and then I think you have to take the top path once you make it through that area, if I'm, if I'm correct. So, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of work, but um, well worth it. to. Because, I mean, uh, no offense, uh, Kurt, I, I know that you like the PSP port, but it was nice to see the game in its original um, art style after playing the PSP port for a while. Yeah, no, I had a, I had a roommate. Again, I since I was a huge Castlevania fan, I eventually convinced him to play Symphony of the Night, and he loved the hell of it. So he bought that port, you know, mostly to get Symphony of the Night. And uh, he hated the PSP version, like, completely. Huh. And then like when he unlocked the PC Engine port, he's like, okay, this game is amazing. I don't know what they screwed up with the PSP version. And I see, yeah. see those reactions a lot. Well, for me, it's just the art. It's just an issue of the art. Now, And I appreciate what they did with the backgrounds, like you were talking about. But it's just uh, it's just the characters. And I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of pixel art. You know, oh, like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think that the new Super Mario Brothers games look very good, for instance. Um, just, well, you know, I, I'm having a hard time just as a big retro game fan, I guess. Yeah. Well, one, one of the big draws of the PC Engine is it has a really, really bright color palette. Right. Like, even for a game mm-hmm. that's really dark like Dracula X, it just looks like visually attractive. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in addition, like like polygons in general just kind of look darker. Uh, that isn't always the case, but it's also that I think the... Uh, the designers wanted to bring Dracula X slightly more in line with Symphony of the Night, which even with that pixel art, that was also darker. So you see things like the cutscenes that used to be full anime, they are now sort of done in the style of Symphony of the Night. The menus are done in Symphony of the Night. The character designs were all done by uh, Ayami Kojima, so they have that sort of look. And I, it, it, it does kind of lose that like specialness about it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're completely right. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that I'm glad exists anyway. And I think it's a really cool way to, um, to play the game. Nonetheless, uh, so so I, once I unlocked it, I considered that my real playthrough, where I actually took notes. I always take notes when I play games for the podcast, and um, so one of the things that stands out, though, this is a little touch, but I love the level names throughout the game. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like level two is um, I wrote this one down. God grant me the strength. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I, mean, I guess I just... didn't realize that because I I 
I'm guessing they translated all this stuff for the PSP game. Yeah. Right. It wasn't so in they Japanese. Have, like, oh, okay. A lot of the titles were sentences. Huh. Instead all of right. just like, you know, like Misty Bog or something like that. They were like full on sentences like God grant me strength, um, things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of religious imagery in the game anyway. So, um, and, and that's another thing I want to say is just that this is one of the most atmospheric Castlevania games. And I've played a lot of Castlevania games, but uh, this game really nails atmosphere and you know, like the stuff in the background and like the bats flying in the background and you know the oh there you're right there are a ton of cool things in there yeah yeah and i mean even from the very beginning i mean you're just um in the little prologue area where you're on the chariot um you you're know, just having your prologue at all like the, yeah and then they carried that over to symphony of the night of course um yeah just talking about almost like cinematic presentation in a 2d action game really just really cool stuff that holds up really well and and it is pretty impressive to see um i think that this is one of the most fair i guess fairest is a word uh, one of the most fair castlevania games uh, from that era i wrote that exact same thing did you like i i've uh before we started recording i, I was talking to kurt about this a little little bit but you know i i enjoy castlevania games to a point where i throw my controller and there's uh, been a real issue with, you know, finding a good balance and difficulty. And I eventually was able to get to the end of Castlevania 1. But, you know, it's definitely in like that third stage of Castlevania 3 where I'm like, oh, my God, it's just like. And I just keep dying over and over and over again. Uh-huh. Uh, but with this game, like it was kind of like really smooth sailing, except for. You know, I probably put in like, I don't know, five and a half hours, six hours to to get through the whole game just because, uh, you know, I was dying quite a bit towards the end. But uh, sure, it was but- it was total like the rule set was set and you were t- you're like, that was my fault. Exactly. And, and, and you know how to improve it next time. Yeah, you it's, know? it's practice. Right. And so I and I really appreciate that. That's something that I think that most of the games today don't have. They're either just really hard. For the sake of being hard, sometimes, or um, there, you know, there, there's nothing to learn really. They're not fair in that sort of sense in which they're difficult, and that's why I like Splunky. I know I talk about that every episode, but anyway. Well, maybe um, that's something that's just lost in 3D games in general, in like you know, in 3D polygonal games in mm-hmm. general. Like it's something that is a lot harder because there's so much more room for hitboxes and things like that. I think you're right, and the enemies, I mean, might not even be approaching you from the same angles axis or about it. Yeah. yeah from the same axis that's a better way to say it yeah 2d games are just a they require a lot more precision because mm-hmm. i mean when you're a 3d game there's all these things around you and it's just yeah. like the type of skills you need are completely different um yeah absolutely absolutely and so and I mean, I, like lords of shadow for instance uh, we were talking about that off air a little bit um so that's the 3d castlevania game that came out a few years ago um you know, like it feels, it just feels a little bit easier to play. I mean, sometimes it's hard, but the, the but the difficulty seems almost artificial. You know, it's like, well, this AI is just really hard. Or they're throwing so many guys at me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he's attacking off screen or something dumb like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, which well, is I, which is today's game design being thrown into Castlevania, essentially. Yeah, I mean, but uh, going back to like being the fairest, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think Dracula X is the best refinement of the classic Castlevania control scheme because mm-hmm. uh, you know the Castlevania they're very, they're very rigid. They're very mm-hmm. particular. Like once you once you jump, you can't control where you're going to land unless you're a certain characters. Like in uh, in Castlevania Three, is Grant. Um, 
you know, the characters kind of attack slowly, but once you get have a, uh, a sense of the rhythm of how he attacks and where it goes, then you begin to go into it. Uh, Dracula X, oh, oh, Super Castlevania Four, I thought, kind of messed with that in a bad way because they were like, okay, you can whip in any direction. Your whip is super long. Your character is gigantic. The problem right. with that is it made sub weapons completely useless. So you have all this big range of attack, and it makes the game just much, much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dracula X, they went back to that where you don't have that range. You can still only attack back and forth. The sub-weapons, they have a use again. You don't have full control over your jumps, but you have more than you did the Nintendo games. Like, if you jump forward and you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to fall in a pit, you can still kind of hold backwards and stop mm-hmm. it a little bit. So it's a good, it's a good, uh, kind of midway point between that. And again, it's also really well balanced as far as, uh, like enemies and how they do damage. Like, I don't, I don't think the game gets really difficult up until about the Grim Reaper battle on the top of the pirate ship. Hmm. And then yeah. from there, it gets kind of hard. Like, you have the, uh, the boss rush where you have to fight all the old Castlevania one bosses. And then, uh, like the last yeah. level is, uh, is a little bit hard. We have to fight, you know, the shaft ghost. And then, uh, I, Again, I think it's kind of anticlimactic because the last boss battle is kind of easy. But, you know, still compared to – it's harder than Super Castlevania 4, which was a little bit easy again up until the end. But it's much more easy to handle than the Nintendo Castlevanias. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's what you said. It's, it's a clear refinement of um, the classic Castlevania style of gameplay. I mean that was really well said that that's what this game is. It's the refinement. And it's um, the last game – before they went into the Metroidvania style of Castlevania games, you know, that we started seeing. Wasn't Blood, um, Bloodlines was an F? Yeah, Blood- Bloodlines came after that, and then there was the uh, the Super Nintendo Dracula X, and then uh, then it went to Symphony of the Night. Okay, and so then you have, like, a, a real shift in the series in terms of level design, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, unique stages, even though this game did have some multiple paths and things like that, which you could, you know, they were starting to toy with that idea, you could see. Um, still, this was... This this is par- probably the best of that era, if you ask me, um, just in terms of balance and uh, and all the hidden areas you can find, hidden levels. It's just it's just great, just a really great game. So I had a blast playing it. Well, and if you um, play the uh, the Super Nintendo version of the game, you can just like appreciate the PC Engine version more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I need to find that and play it just to. I'll just pick you so up a copy. I'll pick you <laughs> okay. up a copy and send it to you, and you can just put it in a SNES card case and put it in your super nintendo yeah, yeah. okay seriously i'd like to or, do or if you have a game genie or whatever um it you know just really like i said i i was really almost worried that i made a huge mistake dropping so much money on a single game it's the most money i've spent on a single game in my life that wasn't a arcade piece of hardware mm-hmm. and uh you know overall like i think kurt was alluding to uh, alluding to it before but it, it totally just takes like the best parts out of all the old Castlevanias and, you know, takes all the annoying stuff out and just keeps all the great, the, the things that make Castlevania great. Uh, the music, uh, the amazing enemies, the, the items are awesome. Like the, I never used the holy water. I, th- I think it almost at all at Castlevania except for that one boss battle. Um, but the holy water is, uh, fantastic in this game. Like the, it's, it, you know hit range is great and same thing with the the axe is gigantic like i just had so much fun using all the items throughout the game uh except for the you know the clock or the the watch and 
um, I, I think that was probably the only thing that I didn't really use uh, very much. And I felt I thought that the knives were a little bit underpowered. Um, but well, they were easy to block. That's the oh, main problem with those. Sure. Yeah. And uh, but overall, like I, it was so weird just like going to some stages and seeing like those swinging like gear, like the gears that were in Castlevania three were were kind of a part of that. In one of the stages, uh, probably one of the most annoying parts until I figured out this stupid little block that was on the left side of the screen that i could backflip up onto that i did not know and i just kept it's on the live stream if you look at the twitch thing but um i was going nuts this morning but the uh (laughs) uh, i thought you know just you feel like such a badass when you're doing backflips onto stairs you're dodging enemy attacks and the the bosses are gigantic enemies just throughout the game there's some huge enemies in that game that uh, you just wouldn't see in an nes game uh, because it, you know, it had that awesome 16-bit power of the PC well, engine. Isn't it in the first level, or is it the second level where you have those huge guys who are made out of rocks? You know, what I'm talking yeah, about the first, yeah, first it's in the first level. Yeah, so I mean, they're showing you right what? off the bat. Yeah, coming out swinging. It's like, like shit just got real. You know, we're not messing around this time. This is why you just dropped, you know, two or three hundred dollars for this uh, CD system. Like you're gonna get your money's worth. And like you said, I. I or I said this in the f- first time we covered Castlevania, but um, you know it, it's so satisfying to learn the patterns of bosses and then finally beat those bosses. Like you said, the the gauntlet of those three bosses from Castlevania One. When I finally got through that, and then I jumped up in the air, you know, grabbed the orb, and then whipped out at the perfect time, so I had that freeze frame. Like, oh, I just, I like, it's so much fun to do that. You you it have is. to do it. It's the only way to finish a stage in Castlevania. And like, I just felt so great throughout this whole game. It was so much fun to play. And even when I was dying, like I talked about this on uh, a player one last night, but I think games today have really lost the importance of a, or uh, have lost what is so great about soundtracks the importance of having a great soundtrack for games that are difficult because you're going to be hearing the same 90 second Mm. loop over and over and over again. But when even like when I would have to continue and like, it would actually have to load up the whole, like it would take 20 seconds to load up the stage. As soon as that music kicked in, like I was nodding my head, I was fired up and ready to go again because it was just so much fun just to listen to that soundtrack, which is phenomenal. It is so good. And and it's not, it is, and it's, the PSP version is okay, like the remix version, but you have to hear the original soundtrack for this game. It is like they took a 8-bit soundtrack or 16-bit soundtrack, but they just had so much more room for, you know, more fidelity. It, 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 it just has that joy and the fun that we get out of 8 and 16-bit soundtracks that you just don't get like soundtracks today like Last of Us or, uh, you know, whatever – uh, like Bioshock Infinite, like those games are really great, and I'm sure the soundtracks are great. But I couldn't tell you what I I don't remember one song from those games. You know that that was. Well, tangent. come on, what about that um, Beach Boys cover of God Only Knows and Bioshock Infinite? But I get your point. I get your point, though. Of, you know, you're going. But see, to I didn't know that song. I didn't know the Beach Boys song, and I I was even replaying it on PlayStation Plus, and I'm like, oh, there's the God Only Knows song that everyone talked about in Game of Year stuff, but I still don't recognize the song at all. <laughs> <laughs> my bad not a beach boys guy huh no i i mean just on full house oh um, uh, yeah well yeah they had some great cameos there so i you know i i got some other stuff but um you know kurt when when you look back on this game 
where does it kind of sit in in your your ranking of the the Castlevania games That's and good question. your your memories and stuff? Oh, it's definitely the best of the the classic Castlevania games. Like you know, I love Castlevania three. I also love Castlevania Bloodlines for the Genesis quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the uh, the refinements and the amount of stuff you can do, and again, the music, it's it's definitely the best of those. Oh, it's so good. It's so like, and it, it, it. I I was looking for the soundtrack. I was even on like Amazon uh, JP looking for to get the actual CD because it is impossible to get good high quality versions of this soundtrack on the internet um even in nefarious places and <laughs> to get this soundtrack is still like fifty dollars to get a uh, a used copy and like i said the only like version you can find is uh like the like remixed version of the tracks and uh there's obviously people that have them on youtube and stuff like that but i'm literally going to if i see it in japan like dropping 50 bucks on the soundtrack because i need high like i want flack versions of these (laughs) songs i need the highest quality version i can get because it is just there's so much energy in this music that that comes across that i i just again i don't see uh in today's games there are actually two releases of the soundtrack if you want to look for either of them the original one was the one that came out right uh when it was released and it's the thing about that soundtrack is it's only the it's almost identical to the Red Book tracks on the. Is CD. that the one disc or the two disc one? The two disc one. Okay. Um, the only thing that they really have is there's an extra remix of the uh, theme from Haunted Castle, the arcade mm-hmm. game, and that, that's a really good song. But there's not too much else that's not on the Red Book CD, which is a little bit annoying because there's some extra music that was done on the the chip tune, which I mean it's not particularly good, but it's not included. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second CD is the music to Castlevania Bloodlines, which again is an amazing soundtrack. Um, it's, I mean, you have to like this sort of Genesis FM synth, but uh, it was composed by Michiru Yamane, who did the soundtrack to Symphony of the Night. So it has a it has very classic Castlevania feel to it, um, and then it has a couple of arranged tracks from the uh, the X sixty eight thousand game. But uh, when they did the the re release, they also released the PSP soundtrack. That one is also two CD, and it has both the arranged versions. And the uh, original PC Engine versions ah. and the chip tune music that's missing from it. The thing is, that might actually be more expensive than the original one. Because, yeah. That, uh, mm-hmm. Okay, this is making more sense now because when I was looking, I did see two versions of the soundtrack and I wasn't sure. I think they were both like in that $50 range, but again, yeah, I, I think, wanted to make sure I didn't want, I didn't want to get the one with the PSP soundtrack. I just wanted the, like, the PC Engine soundtrack so bad. Yeah, I mean, you could get the the PSP one because it includes. It's it's actually a little bit more complete, but uh, it's that one's a little. Even though that was more recent, like as time went on, Konami only started releasing their their CDs, especially through their online store. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they're out of print and they're a little bit more expensive to get. And I, I just really hope that you know there is you know pe- people out there are really making sure that they're. Uh, keeping you know really high quality versions of this stuff uh, digitally as well as obviously the discs. I think this is would be terrible to lose that. Obviously, we're not going to lose this in the history of video games, but um, I think that's something that everyone should be able to have access to, or at least let me download it on the iTunes Music Store or something like that. I will give you money. I'll give you my credit card number <laughs> and my social security number. Just let me get mm-hmm. this game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't I understand why they don't uh, they go to iTunes more. Because uh, I mean, some... Nintendo does the same thing. Like, I really want the Link Between World soundtrack, but there's nowhere for me to get it. They do such dumb stuff with that. They do soundtrack releases, but they only do it through the Japanese Club Nintendo Store. Yeah, like you exactly. can get the soundtrack for Donkey Kong Country Returns, uh, mm-hmm. Fire Emblem, 
Uh, Kid Icarus, they had a version, but only like from there. They don't want and, uh, my dirty U.S. Nintendo points. Yeah, so. and some companies do a little bit better, but they're companies that nobody in America really knows. Like Falcom has all their their music on uh, the American iTunes yep. store. Uh, Taito does, and they have a ridiculous number of albums if you ever look through them. Really? Well, yeah, like Zuntata. Zuntata was their in-house band, which was the equivalent of the Konami Kukeha Club back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Yeah. And there's just a ridiculous amount of stuff that they did. And, I mean, there's games that nobody really knows in America because they weren't as popular. Like, Darius, they kind of got released, but they weren't really, you know, interesting stuff like Ninja Warriors. They just got all sorts of things. Ninja so Warriors you go through there's again. A, a bajillion remixes and I don't even know where to start with some of that stuff. Well, here's the thing though. I mean, having been in bands and put music on iTunes and Amazon MP3, it's really easy to do. You know, it's not like getting a soundtrack in stores and, um, there's, there's not much of a reason for, for these companies not to do this. I guess there's just not enough demand. I don't know. They're just, uh, Konami's not in a good spot right now. They're weird. But I, I mean, it's seriously though, it's a matter of like you upload it and you get a pretty decent cut. Um, I think iTunes only takes like 30% or 40% perhaps. Oh, um, oh well. Yeah. It's just, it's just sitting there. It's low-hanging fruit. But. Hey, um, I, I wanted to ask you this, uh, Josh. Did you have the anime cutscenes in the PSP remake? Are those in there and are those translated? No. Oh, yeah, they're in there. They're, they are? Those yeah, are they, the uh, they dubbed them in English too using the same actors that were in the uh, Symphony of the Night. Okay, With the, well, but was, the PC Engine game. Uh, yeah, with the PC oh, Engine okay. visuals and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, but I knew it was dubbed and everything, but like as I was playing it, I I couldn't must decide. Have been, okay, so you're hammering the start button, dude. You're just like, like oh, I don't need to see this this stuff. Yeah. Well, that's I, I, to pavement. I, I wanted to bring that up just because uh, you know, a I didn't I, I have very limited Japanese skills uh, through my basic lessons through audio, and uh, mm-hmm. I I just thought it was interesting to to point that stuff out. A because you know obviously it was really. Uh, one of the things that the, the PC engine or, or NEC was really pushing hard, you know, saying like, look at, you know, we have anime cutscenes and you can get like almost video on your console and CD quality, uh, voice work as well. Um, but the, the voice work seemed to be pretty, uh, bad. Oh, yeah. That's because some, like, the PC engine sound chip itself is, is pretty awful. Um, oh, I just meant like the voice acting. Just oh, seemed okay. like it was super corny. Like it, 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 it fit right in line with what you would get from like a Sega CD uh, mm-hmm. FMV game. Oh, okay. Because so for some reason the cutscenes, even though they probably had space in it, the cutscenes in uh, Dracula X are played through the sound chip instead of Redbook Audio. Huh. So they're they're really scratchy. Yeah. No, I did notice that. That's super weird. But um, man, that I think it's totally worth if you guys want to like really go deep into this stuff. Um, I think I got a hundred dollars worth and I still need to get all those, um, you know, extra exits throughout the level two. It's like weird super Mario world, you know, kind of set up. It's awesome. This is, the, this is the kind of game you just play once a year, you know, like just play it through all the way. Because How, it's, do you go it's back to it so often, great. Kurt? Yeah. Every couple of years, usually. I mean, again, I was going through it recently cause I was doing a, a complete rundown of comparisons between the, uh, the PSP version and the PC engine version. Mm-hmm. So I was taking, you know, full screen caps of all that stuff. So yeah, you know, every couple of years I'll just bring it up and find cool little things like, uh, you know, in the second level, uh, where the, you have that behemoth that starts chasing you through the castle halls. Yep. If you pay attention right as you enter the castle, like over the, uh, the moat, you can see the eyes of the behemoth. And it's just like a really <laughs> huh. neat, subtle touch. That is. 
Well, like, I, I, that's I, the cinematic part of this that I was talking about earlier. You know, like I mean, they really put some cinematic details into this game. Well, you brought up that that you know all those crazy things going on in the background. You know, I think it was the seventh stage. Uh, you know, again, I was playing over and over uh, this morning. Uh, when you go past these three mirrors, and then the third mirror, your reflection is actually one of the enemies and not your own anymore. <laughs> um, you know, again, so it's, incredible. I, one of my uh, my favorite gags in that game was uh, there's this one spot where you you go down this you you know big river raft ride so mm-hmm. you go down a waterfall and then right at the end you jump off and then there's this hawk that drops a sign and the sign says danger and it's like you could have <laughs> put that I already could have gotten killed by that point <laughs> and I was looking out for you and, and you brought up a, I, I think it was interesting to bring up Super Castlevania because that came out before this game and. Uh, I recently, I probably like six months ago, I was playing through Super Castlevania. And like you said, I think it, I don't know if I like the look of Super Castlevania 4 anymore because, like you said, you're, it's almost so zoomed in because yeah. the, the sprites are gigantic. And, uh, I don't know if I like the look of it anymore. I mean, I still think it looks neat. Like it has a very unique thing for, for basically a launch window Super Nintendo title. It yeah. looks, you know, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a great, uh, show off of what the system could do. But yeah, I still like the way that uh, the PC Engine. Even I like. I love Bloodlines again. I like the way mm-hmm. that looks a little bit more. All right, we need to play Bloodlines. Yeah, I think. Oh, man, there's just so many good games we got to play. The, that's uh-huh. why we're only on episode 17. We got lots to go. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a another break. We're actually going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about a uh, couple of uh, my favorite things. I want to bring up some Go Go Curry. We're talking oh, yeah. about Japan, and also uh, Kurt has an amazing game collection. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that, and also you know kind of how he collects and, and what he's collecting right now. So stick around; we're going to be talking about all that in just a moment. Okay, we're back, and uh, Kurt has a, a really interesting story. You know, it's very Castlevania related, um, and it is has much to do with, you know, retro gaming and the history of video games. So, Kurt, uh, let's go. Let's okay. Talk about Castlevania Blinds was uh, the Genesis game that came after the PC Engine. And like a lot of games, when they were first, uh, you know, showing it off to the press, they had a lot of differences that were, you know, changed from the final game. And, uh, you know, of course, that's, that's, you know, interesting for a lot of people that are really into it. And about 15 years ago, there's this prototype that had popped up on eBay. And uh, the guy had taken video captures of it. And it had all sorts of levels that nobody had ever seen before that were cut from the final game. So, we're, you know, everybody got really excited about it. Well, it was bought by a collector. And prototype collectors are known to sit on things. And, you know, it's never been dumped or made available to the public. And it kind of makes sense from their standpoint because... Once a prototype is dumped, it loses its value significantly. So, like, I understand it from his perspective, but from a story's perspective, it drives drives me nuts. Because I, I'm the sort of person that would, you know, just get it and dump it and want it out there because I want to write about it. Um, earlier this week, there was another prototype that showed up on eBay that was actually a slightly earlier version. Now, nobody knew, really knew what was on this, but, you know, on the, uh, the Assembler Games forum, which they, they do a lot of prototype stuff, we're like, okay, we need to get this. So a bunch of us pulled our money together, tried to get it. This morning, somebody outbid us, and it ended up at $1,900. Now, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know if he'll ever dump mm. it. We hope he will, and it won't just you know become forgotten to time. But it's just it's one of those extremely frustrating things. It's like, oh, we're so close. But at the same time, you know, $2,000 is a lot of money. 
That is a crap ton of money. Man. Yeah. Like the the uh, the other guy that has it, he said that he might be willing to dump it if we were to give him a couple grand. <laughs> Why? I, so, yeah, it's it that well. That's the weird. We were going to talk about collecting, but that's like the dark side of collecting. That people just you know buy stuff to be the you know one of the few people that own it and don't want to really share it with the rest of the world because it, then it devalues their their ownership of said object. Um, man, that's just. Yeah, that's just, that's really in poor taste, though, when you're talking about a series with a fan base like Castlevania, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I have, I have no idea if he really was aware of what we were doing. Maybe maybe he's a decent guy and he'll do it for us, even if we have to pay him. Because, again, you know, we understand the, the financial thing. Like, we were even willing to go and, like, we'll put all this money on the line. And we realize that, you know, even if we sell it to try to get our money back, it's a terrible investment. We would lose quite a bit. But mm, yeah. we want to see that stuff out there just because we've been fascinated with it over the course of, like, 15 years. Let's right. let's talk about happier subjects. Um, <laughs> I noticed that you recently got to venture to uh, the New York branch of Go Go Curry. Uh, does it stack up to the Japanese Go Go Curry? Is it as good? Is it just, or is it a knockoff? I need to know. Uh, to be honest, I haven't been to the Japanese Go Go Curries. Because, oh, how was uh, it? Was it good? Uh, I, I've I've only been to. There's another chain over there. It's called Cocos. Yeah, and uh, I I mean I prefer that quite a bit because i mean i i work in uh jersey city which is right across the uh the, uh, the hudson river so mm-hmm. every once in a while for lunch if i'm adventurous you know it takes like an hour to get back but i'll pick up gogo curry there um and it's it is really good but cocos is liked is better because the uh the curry is thinner and yeah, uh they yeah. allow you to alter the spice level of it because uh in gogo curry they give you uh like tabasco sauce but yeah you know i like I like the spicy stuff because japanese curry is a little bit on the sweet side so with that extra level of spice it's better so I wasn't able to compare it to how authentic it is to the uh, the Japanese chain. I'm assuming it's pretty similar because they have a very Japanese feel to the place. Like they have uh, Japanese commercials and newspapers and all sorts. Oh, of really? They have all. like the screens where they're constantly over and over and over playing that commercial that they have for Go Go Curry and the Go song. Go Curry, oh, yeah, yeah, man. I know that. <laughs> that's a, I'm that's looking a, at their website right now and freaking out. This looks so good. That's the one thing that you know. I always try to like if I go to sit down in that place. Like sometimes they have a TV and you just want to make sure you sit as far away from that thing. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to hear that go go curry go go curry like over yeah. and over and over again. And you're just going to want to uh, go nuts. So um, yeah, I just needed I needed to know because uh, Chris Kohler recommended me to go to that place and uh, I. I think it's like the best food in the world. But uh, cocoa is also very good. And I've got that a couple times uh, because I was not near like Akihabara, which has a lot of Gogo Curry locations in Shinjuku and stuff. But um, I just want to know because I, next time I'm in New York, I'm going to probably try to make a, a trip over to that, go out of my way. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Like I think the Cocos we found in uh, – I went to one in Shibuya. And mm-hmm. it was it was actually run by a uh, – she wasn't Japanese. I don't know what nationality she was, but she spoke English. So oh. it made it a little bit easier to order. Oh, cool. Um, um, Kurt, did you know this? Uh, hold on. I'm looking at their website. Every 5th, 15th, and 25th of the month, when you order any kind of curry dish, you will receive a free topping coupon for your next visit. Yeah, don't go those days. Okay. It's a, it's a little crazy, <laughs> They are huh? weirdly busy on those days. Everyone goes, like, goes curry. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's a coupon for like the next time you go, and they yeah. expire in like a, like a month. I was so, gonna say like a day or something, but still, that's not good. Yeah, and I mean, the, the the price of a topping is like a dollar, a dollar fifty. I actually okay. went to the uh, the grand opening of the one that was uh, it's down by Wall Street, which is you know the one I can get to at work. And uh, the line was out the door, 
And it really annoyed so me because cool. uh, they only gave you the small kind. They wouldn't even take orders for anything else. What? And the place was packed. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't give uh, takeout orders either. So I spent like two hours in downtown New York when I should have been at my cubicle just like <laughs> waiting in line and eating curry. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the place is always packed when I go there, <clears throat> excuse me, in Japan, but every place is packed at lunchtime and every place is packed at dinner time. Like there's almost impossible to find a seat when you want to go out to eat. Um, at least for those fast food type restaurants. Um All right, let's talk a little bit about your collection just because um I think it was like two years ago or something like that at, at PAX East, uh, you were talking about uh, collecting in your collection and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what if people don't know out there, what's your collection? What does it consist of? How many games do you have? And also, are you like focused on any specific platforms right now? Um, I go through moods, basically. Um, like right now I'm doing PC engine stuff and, uh, I just like mega drive things just because like, I really like the way that, uh, mega drive boxes look like their design, like just lining them up on, on the spines and seeing them out. They're just, they're just really like busy looking and they're really flashy. And, uh, you know, the artwork is not always better, but usually at least cool to compare to what the, uh, what the American Genesis versions were like, even though like most of the good mega drive games were released in America. Um, so that's what I've been looking at now. And PC Engine is just for the same reason that we've been discussing it. Like I always had some knowledge of the PC Engine. Um, and then, you know, most people, when they talk about the good PC Engine games, they talk about the shooters, you know, you know, the Lords of Thunder and, you know, the Star Soldier and all stuff. And all those games are great. But there's a lot of games that people kind of skip over. And uh, some of them tend to be pretty cheap, too. So sometimes I'll just take a chance and uh, get a couple of cheap Who cards and uh, see see what I end up with. And just uh, you know, going through that library to try to find stuff is really kind of fun. Is uh, it, is there a, you know in terms of the the Mega Drive like selection and stuff like that? I always found like looking at shops in Japan, there just isn't a a great selection of that stuff. You, you, have you noticed like the prices comparable to you know most games in the United States that are a little bit cheaper to get the Japanese version? Uh, I mean, not terribly. A lot of their stuff okay. isn't that that expensive. That's one of the reasons that you know just be able to order huge lots at some time. It'll be like mm-hmm. you know maybe ten dollars a game okay. if that. I mean, there's there's some of the uh, the more expensive ones, just like uh like bare knuckle three. There's pretty substantial differences from uh, the American Streets of Rage three, mm-hmm. so that's a little bit more on the pricey side. But things like you know Dynamite Heady, Gunstar Heroes, or a couple like Alien Storm. Alien Storm is kind of a mediocre game, but it has like amazing cover artwork. That's not uh, a mediocre game. That that game's <laughs> awesome. You have a is it like goes from a side scrolling right, beat 'em up to like a Revolution X Terminator 2 arcade game, uh, you know, breaks in between with a minigun. It's awesome. It's very – I know. It, I know. I'm probably stretching. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a cool game. Yeah. It was a um, launch game, right? Or it was relatively close to launch? No, it was a couple years later. I mean, okay. it's basically Golden Axe with Aliens. Yeah. So. Yep. That's kind of the reasons I got – I didn't like it as much because I thought it would be a little bit more shooty. Like your characters have weapons, but you can't really shoot them. It's weird. Um, Kurt, what is your most cherished possession in your gaming library? Oh, geez, I don't know. I know it's a tough question, but or like one of them that you think of when you're like, I'm really glad I have this. Uh, I'd have to really kind of put around. I mean, I, I like I have um, a copy of the Final Fantasy Tactics soundtrack signed by Hitoshi Sakimoto, the composer. Uh, I guess oh, little wow. things like that. I got um, a copy of Streets of Rage 2 signed by Yuzo Koshiro. Um, no, Kevin likes that. 
Yeah, I saw him at uh, do a DJ set at Magfest. Not this year, but last year. Oh my really goodness, cool. that's so rad. Very um, cool. I have uh, the Akumajo Dracula Best soundtrack, which has a castle, soundtracks Castlevania one through three, signed by one of the composers, Kinio uh, Yamashita, who actually lives like two towns over from me. Weirdly enough, isn't that thing by itself like hundreds of dollars? Oh no, that CD is actually really cheap to find. Okay, okay, yeah, that one is. I mean, it was reprinted. A bunch you could probably get for like fifteen twenty dollars. I, I swear, I remember, like there's like a CD case um, at the in, in Nakano at uh, Mandrake that has like CDs for hundreds of dollars. Like it's just nuts to get some of these soundtracks. Yeah, I mean there was one specific Castlevania soundtrack that when I was first getting into it in like the late nineties called Dracula New Classic. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was like a thousand dollars for the <laughs> CD. It was the holy grail of music CDs. And over the course of just like a decade, just generally the value of it just drops. And yeah. I think I picked it up last year for the equivalent of $50 or so. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a steep drop. Yeah. Huh. Well, in, in terms of like hardware and stuff like that, do you, do you find it hard to like organize all this stuff? And how do you generally play mm-hmm. this stuff? Do you go through like a CRT or are you using – like I have a frame meister here at home. Do you, do you use something like that? I have two CRTs. Um, I have just like a, you know, a regular one. And then I have one turned on its side specifically for, uh, yeah. like taking shooters and like my, my room's a mess. Cause I don't have enough room for this stuff technically, but, um, yeah, that's, that's mostly how I play stuff. Um, I mean, cause I have an HGTV, but it's just in the living room with all the newer systems. Very cool. So you have a separate gaming space. Oh yeah. It's, it's like my office that I have, you know, all mm-hmm. my, my shelves set up with and just a pile of systems and nightmare of wires so so when you get like a lot of like a lot of ga- like in in terms of a lot we're specifically saying like you know a bunch of games in terms of an auction or so, like an order or something like that how, do, you, do you find you know you're able to actually you know, like play all this stuff because that's something josh and i have talked about on the show a little bit is just getting really overwhelmed with just having so many games and getting paralyzed with the the selection and the choice and not really being able to just sit down and play one thing. That's kind of why, why we started the podcast. Well, I like to, like I, I, I sample, like when I get a mm-hmm. big box of stuff, I'm like, okay, you know, spend, uh, spend an evening going through them. But if there's something I really like, then I'm like, okay, this is worth covering for my website. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll spend some more time with it. I'll play it on emulator to get, uh, to get screenshots. And, you know, that's, that's generally how I, you know, do research and find stuff that's cool to cover. I think, I think, man, I, I'm thinking that maybe at at some point we should do like an extended interview because I think we could talk about like this game collecting and stuff yeah. like that forever. And just like, again, um, for people out there that haven't checked out uh, your website, there's just so much great stuff on hardcoregaming101.net uh, that you can just open it up on your iPad and just kind of browse for forever. Um, because oh. you guys... You guys have had that site for like 10 years now, right? Or longer than yeah, that? Yeah, it's about 10 years. I started it right after I graduated college, and that was about 2003. Wow. So I think, yeah, about a little bit after that. Uh, we uh, are, oh, let me ahead. ask you one more thing, uh, Kurt, and, and I don't want to digress too much, but um, I was looking at the site a little bit before um, we had you on the show, obviously, and um, I want to ask you about Christopher Columbus is an idiot. Oh, wow. Somebody's <laughs> actually, I, I think I heard like one person play that game. Well, I think it's, um, I think it's, I haven't played it, but I just think that's a glorious idea. Um, and oh. so like, it's a, an adventure game, right? The yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's done an adventure game studio. I haven't worked on it for a while, but, um, I mean, I was talking like my brother and I, we were, uh, yeah, we've like, kind of just talk, talking it out together. Like I, 
you know, I have a computer science degree, so I know how to program a little bit. And that's like, I'm the one developing it. But, you know, you, you, you just bounce off goofy ideas. And we were just talking about it the other day. I'm like, oh, I got to get back into working on that. Well, just uh, what a glorious um, concept to base the game around. Yeah. As, as someone who's not a fan of Columbus Day, I appreciate that. Yeah, like I, I mean, more recently I've been, you know, on Facebook things like, you know, Christopher Columbus was a terrible murder. Like, <laughs> like everybody kind of knows that, but I right. think it's a little bit funnier to look at him as, you know, not so much like a murder, just like a moron. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. So it takes a you know more uh, give history some levity. <laughs> have you well, have you, have you got into that. collecting like arcade hardware at all? Have you gone that deep and like have like a stack of boards or anything like that? No, no. The closest I brushed with Neo Geo collecting a little bit. Yeah. Um, because uh, I I got an AES system. Mm-hmm. The problem with AES collecting is that like the first handful of games are pretty reasonably cheap, and then just everything after like King of Fighters '95 is just insanely expensive. Yeah. So you begin looking at you know AES cartridges. I'm like seven hundred dollars. You know that's just absurd amount of money, but it's Polestar. Um, and then at a certain point, I was like. Screw it! I got an MBS converter so I could play mm-hmm. MBS games on it. Because if you want to pl- like actually play Neo Geo games, that's really the only way to go. Yeah, because um, they're they're so much cheaper. And uh, I did get a couple of games for that, and then somewhere along the line, the system just broke, and it's really annoying. I still have it in my closet, and I never bothered to try and fix it. Um, I still have I, I stole my AES games. I still have my MBS games. Uh, most of the the games they kind of got ported to other systems. So the only games that I really have that I really want to play again are like Polestar, Blazing Star, and Rage of the Dragons, which is like one of my favorite fighting games that nobody takes seriously. Rage of the Dragons, yeah, Rage of the Dragons is fantastic. It's um, it was like a fake Double Dragon sequel, uh, and it was uh, I don't Double know. Dragon sequel in terms of Double Dragon like five, the fighting game on Neo Geo. Uh yes, but not official. Not okay. It's like somebody else really wanted to make a Double Dragon fighting game, but they didn't have the Double Dragon license. People so you have really characters... wanted to make a Double Dragon fighting game after that? Yeah. Oh, man. And it's uh, it was really <laughs> stylish. Like, I think it was actually designed by a Mexican team. Uh, what? And, and it was sort of done in in, uh, in joint with somebody in Japan. So it has, like, a really stylish look. The The soundtrack, which was done by a Japanese guy, is fantastic. He, had a, he worked for a lot of SNK games. He did, like, King of Fighters Maximum Impact and some of the later Mega Little Slug titles. And it's like, it's really fast. It's really flashy. It has a tag mechanic like Marvel versus Capcom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I just find it incredibly fun. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that game one more time? Rage of the Dragons. Okay. Again, if you, if you bring that up and like, sure, you can.com, you get laughed out of it because, it, you know, the fighting community doesn't take it seriously, but I don't care about like <laughs> fighting gate. Like I, I, I've been, one of the things that I've been looking for is, um, or like I, I have a bunch of envious. You know, cards too, because like you said, they're they're pretty cheap, and you can go to you can kind of shop around in the arcade shops in Japan and find some decent deals. But um, I love the crazy over the top games that are unbalanced and things like that. So I might uh, see if I can track down a copy of this when I'm out there next time. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah, it's a fun game. Man, I I, I don't know if you've looked into any of those. Uh, What's it called? The Omega, the Neo Geo Omega. It's like a five hundred dollar consoleized MVS that outputs with com, uh, component and uh, hooks up with the old the joysticks for the AES and stuff like that. I'm really trying to hold back and not drop absurd amounts of money on that. But um, yeah, those do look pretty nice. One of those days, I always thought I'd either get a consoleized MVS. I mean, if I had if I had the room, I'd get an MVS cabinet, but. I've, I've gone it's, through three of those and yeah. the monitors died on two of them and the, the, 
I don't know. There's there's actually one local too here because I'm a dumbass and I always keep the alert up for Neo Geo Arcade stuff on Craigslist. And <laughs> I'm like, maybe uh, I guess I could put it in the corner and just clean it up again and buy new buttons and sticks. But um, man, that's just such a great library. Um, all right, I, I think before before we wrap up, um, I, we are wrapping up right now. But um, obviously, for for people that want to check out some more of Kurt's stuff. Head over to hardcoregaming101.net. Um, you can also follow him on HG underscore 101 on Twitter. Um, always posting some really cool stuff. If you're into this and you're listening to this show, um, Kurt's a guy whose stuff you really want to follow. And, and that's a website that you really want to be uh, checking out. But uh, Kurt, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. This has been just a huge pleasure and just such a – uh, such a blast to be able to talk to you and talk about Castlevania. Oh yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on too. Yeah, uh, you did a great job, man. And um, <laughs> Kevin, are you going to mention the uh, the upcoming project of his, or shall I? Um, are we gonna? Do, do we want to hold off on that? Uh, no, I can mention sure. it right now because I've okay. sort of mentioned it unofficially. But okay, okay. Uh, as like a follow up to the uh, the Sega arcade book that I put out at the end of last year, the next book I'm doing is for Castlevania, uh, which is you know it's structured the same sort of similar way. It has reviews of all. Like thirty some Castlevania games that has you know ridiculous trivia about whatever I could dig up, and it's just you know as complete as I can make it. In terms of the Sega arcade book, before we go forward, it where's the best place people can pick that up or check it out? Uh still Amazon. They have a tendency to take it on and off sale, and I don't really control that. I, I like it better when it's cheaper because it sells better. But yeah, sure Fair enough. Um. Very well, cool. I'm, I'm really excited about the Castlevania book, though. I just think that's a that's going to be a tremendous resource um, as somebody who loves that franchise. So, yeah, looking well, forward to it. We just need more of this stuff. Like, I I think just having these, like, it's so great to have stuff like Hyrule Historia and yes, um, you know, book like complete books for for history of these games, but just has you know jam packed full of content um, because we are kind of at that point, that 30 year mark, 25 year mark where. There's just so much history with some of these franchises that we need to make sure that, uh, you know, there's people out there like Kurt who can just cultivate all or put all the stuff into uh, one package for us so we don't have to, you know, search Wikipedia, you know, for, for this stuff. You know, it's, right. it's good to have a source to go to. Um, Kurt, one more question. So mm-hmm. Lords of Shadow 2 is the only other announced Castlevania game right now, correct? Yeah. Or yep. is there something else? Uh, I mean, nothing else specifically. I mean, a couple years ago, they had shown uh, a trailer of Alucard doing something, and I think that was a project involving the old producer, Koji Garashi, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, um, other than that, like they've said that Lords of Shadow is going to be the last game made by Mercury Steam, but I mean, they're, they're going to announce something else, unless it's a total failure or something like that, which I don't think it will be. Yeah. Can only be but, better than what they had on the Xbox Live Marketplace. I forget what that game was, but... Oh, Mirror of Fate. Yeah, was that? Uh, oh no, not Mirror Fate. What, or was that what it was called? Like the four-player Castlevania game? Oh no, I yeah. like that game. Harmony of Despair. Yeah, that was a weird game. I like it. Um, I don't know, but I had I had people to play it with. So I mean, I think that playing it by myself might not have been as enjoyable. Yeah, I've only played it single player, and it's. Uh, I mean, I played a bunch of it because I had to write about it, and it's difficult for me to play because I don't have Xbox Live. I don't even know if the community's around for it anymore. Probably, uh, not it's not really that good in single player. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Konami is going to really put their best foot forward when it comes to the franchise in the future. We'll see. I mean, they've been yeah. doing such a great job with other stuff. Um, 
All right. Well, uh, for upcoming episodes, we're going to be having uh, Jonathan Metz of Nintendo World Report on next time. Uh, again, you know, I don't know why he wants to talk about Mylon Secret Castle. It has some kind of special <laughs> spot in his heart, but uh, we're probably going to spend about an hour and a half talking about that game. <laughs> and then uh, also, again, I've reached out to uh, Steve Lynn and Mike Micah to to come on the show and uh, either to cover a game or to talk about, um, you know, retro game collecting and uh, you know, the, it's just, it's just so great to, to be able to talk to, to, you know, guys like Kurt and these guys to, uh, to again, remember these games. And then also to talk about how we can, uh, make sure we can still buy them and preserve them and stuff like that. So hopefully you guys will continue to tune in, check out back in my Please submit a review on iTunes. If you haven't already, that's the best way to support us right now. And also, uh, I'm continuing to do the weekend rental series on YouTube at youtube.com slash back in my play um again uh josh thank you for for taking the time to to come on and talk about some games and again obviously kurt thank you so much it's been a huge pleasure oh sure thing yep great job kurt great Thanks. job kevin both the k guys it's been a nice